All right, well, say we hadn't watched two hours of Manchester United grinding out a 1-0-1 over West Ham, Rich. What would you have done with those 120-plus minutes or so? I don't know, cut my toenails exactly. or something? Yeah. Did it take two hours for you to cut your toenails? Oh, I don't know. That, that, I'd start with that, and then I'd moved on to other necessary personal hygiene things. But <laughs> <laughs> you're not doing because of football? <laughs> no, sorry, no. No. Can't go for a shower at the minute, love. Football's on. <laughs> That's pretty much it, isn't it? We do, we do, we do put these things off for football. I mean, there, there are some things that arguably should not be putting off in the name of football. But there we go. We'll come <laughs> back to that in a moment. That's something we need to unpack shortly. But before we do that, the introduction. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's Red Voices. Pleasure to have you here with us. It's me, you, and then it's and him, Richard Can, to discuss two Manchester United men's games this week in the shape of that rather annoying three-three draw against Everton and last night's grindy one-nil win over West Ham that got us through to our seventh straight FA Cup quarter-final. But before all that, Richard, how are we? Not bad, not bad. We're recording in the morning for once, so we're all chipper and energetic and and all the things we normally aren't at 10 o'clock at night after a United game. Have you forgiven me for last weekend yet? Well, (laughs) to be honest, it was overtaken by the actual equaliser, so I was more annoyed about that than your faux equaliser. I mean, yeah, just for some context, everyone, uh, Rich... Rich's stream was behind the rest of us in the WhatsApp chat group, and uh, I jokingly suggested that uh, Everton had equalised not long after Scott McTominay's goal, and he was very upset to hear that I was actually lying. Um, but to be fair, in my defence, I was actually priming you for the inevitable equaliser. Yeah, I suppose you did. Yeah, I, the, the pain wasn't quite so much after I'd been through that emotional roller coaster before it. Yeah, see, there you go. A little bit of emotional manipulation never did anyone any harm. No, no. Anyway, speaking of an emotional manipulation, we actually had a chance to win that game, Rich. Didn't go well, so let's start with that 3-3 draw against Everton. Really? I mean, I say rarely. We've seen it quite on quite a few occasions in these, this season in particular in terms of United sort of throwing away results, but that was a proper kick-it-into-the-bin result, wasn't it? I mean, United were... So, I mean, I think it's partially just because we were, we just appeared to be in such control. Was that just false? Was it just Everton allowing us to have certain possession that made it seem like we were dominating? And it was such a strange game. United was so, so comfortable at half-time. You honestly thought we could go and roll on to three or four goals at that stage and to draw 3-3 three, three in those circumstances. Hugely frustrating. Yeah. The thing about this United team is that it, 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 can never, it never puts in a 90-minute performance. Ever, and you could probably say that United were the best team for ninety-five percent of that game against Everton. But there's always a spell. Well, there's there's very often a spell within a game where they just completely lose themselves, lose the concentration, lose their lose their shape, lose their intensity. I don't know what it is. It it's just, it seems to be it does just seem to be a, a concentrational issue to go in at half time as we were, and then two two goals up and come out and just completely flail about and could see twice within the first seven or eight minutes of the second half was just ridiculous and it's I think some some a little bit of that's on on Solskjaer but I think a large part of it's on the players and it just seems to be this inability to to really focus and concentrate for the for the whole 90 minutes of the game now I think the performance uh, aspect of it is quite interesting as well you know you often see United struggle to control games and to go about their business in the right way when we're ahead or perhaps try and kill games off in that instance as well in the first half you could see Ancelotti getting visibly annoyed with the way that Everton were trying to break and United found it very easy to pick off passes and maintain pressure in that first 45 minutes didn't they and that didn't carry into the second half Everton were a lot more direct they got their passes correct and got in behind Lindelof and Maguire with ease which is why 
you know, arguably those first two goals happen and the third, you know, we'll come back to that in a minute. But it's in complete contrast to the control that we had in that first half. And it wasn't, I didn't think it was fake control either. I thought United actually did a good job of getting a stranglehold on that first half, you know, justly rewarded with a great cross from Rashford to Cavani. That link up is delicious, by the way. I love it. And another great header by the Uruguayan, who's now pretty much the first choice striker, right? Yeah, I think he is. Um, Martial's in pretty poor form and Cavani's coming and does what he does, which is provide a focal point up front, essentially score the kind of goals which we haven't been scoring, those, those headers in the box um, or, or the close-range finishes or whatever. So, yeah, I think at the moment um, um, his, his work rate is exceptional as well and I think he just provides a better foil for whichever other two um, players we put in our strike force at the moment. Uh, I mean, the second goal, probably yeah. Bruno's second best goal at United since he made the move, apart from you know, obviously the one against uh, Bataxa here yeah. was an absolute screamer, but uh, somewhat unfavourable comparisons to the Cantona goal. I mean, regardless, it was a stonking good shot. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I seem to remember, I think Pogba scored quite a similar one against um, Fenerbahce in, in, I think, in Mourinho's first season. Um, just that, that lovely kind of in, in, in step curling away from the goalkeeper into the top corner um, kind of shot. But it, I think with Bruno, that it wasn't just the, the finish. It was kind of the, the control and then the fake and then the non almost nonchalance with which he he, he hit it. Um, you know, it's, I said on social media, it's almost offensive now if they don't give him a shirt with a collar um, for <laughs> future games. You know, it was that kind of goal, wasn't it? It was that, it was that I'm really good and this is really easy and then do something wonderful kind of goal. The one thing that he has, apart from being ace at football, the one um, comparison you can make with Cantona is just that strength of character, isn't it? And that, that, that little bit of strut, self-confidence or arrogance or whatever, whatever you want to call it. He just has enormous belief in himself. Um, and I think he know, he's good and he knows he's good and he very often shows it. That arrogance is great if you actually, if you actually deliver and Bruno largely does. No, indeed. Real bum note of the first half was Pogba coming off with a hip injury. I mean, he's now out for several weeks, so potentially the rest of February, which, yeah. given the games that we've got coming up, I mean, let, let's take a quick look at the fixture list. You know, we are only one week away from our return to the Europa League, which saddens me every time I think about it. <laughs> um, and then we have got Chelsea at the end of the month, and then we start March with a trip to the Etihad. So... I mean, the fixture list will obviously get a lot more crammed by the time we get round to March. So I guess if there's going to be one time for it to happen, then it could be now. You know, United have got West Brom and Newcastle in the league before the end of the month and before that game away at Stamford Bridge. So there could arguably be better times for him to be injured, but there certainly could be worse. And I think we sort of noticed his absence in particular in that uh, the rest of that game on Saturday, but in particular last night against yeah. West Ham, just in the fact that you look at Fred trying to pass forward or really do anything that meant moving the ball in a forward motion, mm. whether that was shooting or passing, and just noted how much of a step down any of our other options in that area of the pitch are at the moment. Yeah, massively. As you say, it was more noticeable last night when we were facing a team who had very little ambition, who were playing a very compact um, conservative game and we just needed that bit of quality on the ball to to open up a defence um, and that's that's exactly what he's been excelling at in the last in the last couple of months um, and as you say Fred um, Fred is good for some things he's he's incredibly mobile he's he's very good at pressing ball recoveries but once he's got the ball 
that he really needs to stick to just doing the simple the simple things because because he ain't the greatest technician in in the world <laughs> um so mm. yeah so i mean that there, there, there is an enormous enormous difference and i think that was exager- ex- exacerbated by Matic playing last night i think if you've got if you've got that fred mctominay axis you've at least got someone in mctominay who who can get forward and, and make a difference um but if you, any other combination really doesn't we lose an awful lot um in terms of creativity and drive from that midfield Mm. And we'll come on to Matic in a bit, but you have to kind of play him every now and then, don't you? Because yeah, yeah. you can't risk just completely burning out the Fred and McTominay axis, can you? You know, no. it, you've got to bring Matic in for some games like this. And I guess if you're going to bring him in from any game, a game where you're going to get a lot of possession is the most ideal or the least damaging in some mm. ways. But anyway, uh, speaking of damaging, the second half start against Everton then. So as we mentioned, Ancelotti visibly frustrated on the touchline with Everton's inability to uh, pass out from the back when trying to break. They seem to fix it pretty quickly though, didn't they? Lindelof and Maguire really struggling. I mean, who is most at fault for that first goal? Is it the defence or is it De Gea for palming out? I think it was Calvert-Lewin's initial shot. Either way, Decore's first goal, Everton's first, was pretty rubbish. I think there's some culpability with Solskjaer as well in that it was very clear what Ancelotti wanted Everton to do in that first half. So United's fullbacks were playing incredibly high and very effectively very high. But what that does is leave the centre backs exposed, big spaces in the in the in the channels, and if you've got two two forwards who are faster than defenders, then it, it leaves you very vulnerable to a very quick counter attack, long ball counter attack. If I was Solskjaer at half time, my team's two 0 up. It's pretty clear what. Ancelotti wanted Everson to do, even if they weren't achieving it. I think I would have said to the, the fullbacks, look for ten, fifteen minutes, just play, stay a bit deeper. Don't push on as much. Just let's let's get through the first fifteen, twenty minutes without conceding a goal, and and then we can take stock and decide what to do from there in, in the second half. And it's something that that's frustrated me a little bit before in, in the, the the home PSG game with the game one all when United could have. And should have really just tried to close the game down and calm it down. Solskjaer still was um, committed to kind of going out and winning it. And I know he he feels this pressure as a United manager to play this buccaneering style. But sometimes you just have to do the pragmatic things as well. I felt for Maguire and Lindelof in that situation because the reality is we know they're not quick players. They're up against some pretty quick players. And with nobody to cover you, you're going to be in trouble with those those balls over into the channels. But De Gea should have done far better with that. I, I can't really comprehend what he was trying to do. It's just another mistake. You know, it's getting a bit boring talking about De Gea's mistakes. There was a, um, a, a... I mean, we saw that last night, didn't we? When Henderson had a similar opportunity. Obviously, yeah. slightly different circumstances. But he palms it out literally as far as he can go. And once the ball is out on the edge of the penalty area, it's a lot less dangerous than it is if it's in the six-yard box. Yeah, exactly. You have to get... You have to either... You either catch that or you, you get a really strong palm to it and you, you're putting it out towards the edge of the box at the very least. And he didn't. It was just the worst of, of every world, wasn't it? It was just basically... a a pat down to Decore just to tap it in. The second goal in particular reminded me a lot of Sheffield United's second goal a couple of weeks back in the sense that United just stepped off and allowed Everton to pass it around in the penalty area, which will never fail to frustrate me. It was a great finish by James Rodriguez. Lovely finish, but so frustrating to give the two-goal lead away considering how comfortable we were in like the first 10 minutes of the second half. And mm. 
The strange thing about that game was, as it went on, that Everton didn't really try and win it. They only really responded when they were behind. And United kind of... I mean, domination doesn't sound quite right because it's a thing we can tell from the way that Everton were able to attack and get you know get good results and succeed when United weren't in control of the ball. I think Everton were pretty happy to let United try and work their way around and pass the ball and move it. And then they only need to react when they conceded, which was strange. I don't, I'm surprised they didn't go for it more because there, there would definitely have been more joy in behind those two centre-backs that they tried more. But regardless, United had a lot of the ball in the intervening period after that. And I think one of the frustrating things was how many good positions Marcus Rashford found himself in without pulling the trigger or pulling it too late or just waiting for the perfect split second in which to do it and then watching the moment pass. Yeah, he can be a frustrating player to watch, can't he? I think on on balance, his, his upsides are far greater than his downsides, but his decision-making in and around the penalty area is sometimes um, not the best. And that can be that can be very frustrating. Um, we've got a few players like that who, who don't, often make the right choices in in the final third you know he he delivers a lot um but but in those moments it's it's frustrating and then McTominay gets uh well his second goal in a row we'll come to his third shortly uh with that somewhat lucky deflected header I mean it was beyond Olsen I think he, he looks like he's just what is he slipped when trying to go to save it yeah I mean regardless of that stage you're thinking okay so we've had our blip Let's try and go and kill the game off. You know, we had several opportunities with, with the game getting a bit more stretched towards the end of it to kill the result and try and win the game, which was an important one in the context of trying to make sure we kept pace with City ahead of their trip to Anfield. And the way that we conceded that final goal, I mean, the clock management was bad enough. The fact oh. that we didn't try and just run the ball to the channels and just keep it in the corner and try and do something in terms of just slowing the game down was bad enough. To concede a free kick in those sort of circumstances when we know we're so vulnerable to set pieces was incredibly frustrating. I think if you've listened to this show, especially over the last sort of six, seven months, you'll be aware that the fact that I have issues with the fact that I don't see Maguire as a vocal enough leader or organiser of a defence to justify the price tag. And I can, if anyone wants to argue with that, all you have to do is look at the setup for that third goal, the Calvert-Lewin equaliser in stoppage time. He is not playing anywhere near the same offside line. And I'm not saying he's the only one culpable for that. We've seen Wan-Bissaka do that plenty of times. But as the leader of that defence, he is the one who needs to be holding that line and making sure everyone knows their jobs. And so frequently, that's just not the case. It's not just on him. You know, De Gea comes out so, so slowly, doesn't smother the ball, and looks concerned about really committing to try and get the ball. It's just that split-second lack of reaction that we've seen from him so often over the last couple of years that's really hampering us in moments like that, especially when games come down to fine margins, as they did on Saturday. Cluster seems a little bit of a stretch, but at the same time, just an absolute mess, and it was so utterly predictable again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It's difficult to know where to start with that. I think I think alarm bells rang for me when, when Oli made his, his traditional two ends away coming on to close out a victory, which never ends in victory. Um substitution I, I did I don't see the the value in making that substitution I don't know why when you're when you're you're holding on towards the end of a game you bring on another guy and put him at center back he's not in tune with everybody else he's not you know you're changing shape as well so they've been defending in one shape and suddenly you're you're adding an extra center back and and that shape changes and everybody's having to adjust to that then there's giving as you said giving away stupid free kicks in stupid areas 
um, which is, is something that's absolutely endemic for United. And then why were we defending so deep for that final free kick? It was a, it was a free kick that was sort of 30, 30, 35 yards, 40 yards from goal. So it wasn't, wasn't very close in. Why are we, why are we lining up on the penalty spot in that situation? Um, and then, as you say, Maguire, and this this is this happens a lot. It often happens with with Wan Bissaka, but um, for once it was Maguire. Just one of them doesn't doesn't push out, um, but, so they play everybody on side. And then De Gea, unfortunately, De Gea isn't at the moment a very brave goalkeeper, is he? He's not physically enough. He's not quick enough off his line, and he's not brave enough. We saw a goal in uh, Germany against Leipzig, which is a similar one where. Another goalkeeper would have just come out and absolutely cleaned the ball and the player out, but he was slow and he was slightly cowardly in the way he came out. And they scored then, and 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 we they Everton scored the other night. The frustration with with United at the moment in these situations is it's just a multitude of errors, and and there's no there's no one area you can point to and say that's why this happened. There's usually it's usually multifactorial. You know, Ollie Ollie's making mm. mistakes, multiple players are making mistakes, or they're just not playing well enough. I mean, De Gea has got the second worst save percentage in the, in the Premier League this season. So he's, he's, he's become a really, well, not become, he he remains a really, really big problem for United. Um, And, and you can imagine as well, if you don't trust, if the goalkeeper doesn't trust his back four and the back four don't trust the goalkeeper, you then get decisions like these decisions, like Maguire pushing back towards the goal rather than sticking, you know, holding the line and pushing out for the, for the free kick, um, it, it's just so frustrating because United, at, when they're playing well, are really, really good. But you know that, in, that at some point in any given game, there are going to be periods, five, ten minutes, whatever, where they just completely lose their minds. Um, and as you, as you said as well, we had the opportunity a number of times just to slow the game down and also to get the ball and just take it up the channels and towards the, the corner flag. And it was pretty frustrating seeing Rashford do that last night because he had the opportunity to do it um, against Everton and didn't and lost the ball. Where do you, where do you even well, start? Well, I, th- I think the, the real frustration comes in particular in that you look at the fact that we are, according to our position on the table, fighting with City at the minute for top spot in the Premier League. And you just, I mean, frequently throughout this course of the season, we have seen City drop points. At this exact moment in time, they're not doing that. And that 3-3 draw against Everton is the exact sort of game that they don't drop points in. That's the game that they win. They see it out. It's a 2-0 victory and it's boring as hell, but it's effective. And I think when you're at the top of the table and you're comparing performances and squads and utilisation in a minute detail that you have to if you're looking at who's going to win the league, this is just where United come up short. And I think that's the frustration is that this is the best chance that United have got of putting a genuine run at a title in a long, long time. And we're still failing. We're still tripping ourselves up because we're not quite where we need to be. And that is frustrating. You know, there's some of the way around it. And I think in particular when you're losing, sorry, when you're drawing games like this and losing the game against Sheffield United it feels a lot more frustrating because you just see City go all about their business and in particular the way they ripped into Liverpool in the end of that game at Anfield at the weekend you know you look at the game but we played Anfield a couple of weeks ago and you're thinking why didn't we go for it why didn't we in that second half after we made it clear that they, they were looking a bit blunted and we were able to keep them incredibly quiet for the first 45 minutes why don't we throw more caution to the wind and I think that that's been one of the elements of this season that stopped us from getting a bit further ahead because we have 
we haven't used bravery when we should have done and we haven't been more pragmatic when perhaps we should have been mm. and it, you know it, it's very easy to say this and look at back at games uh you know the game against liverpool and say we should have done better there in the context of you know brighton going there and winning burnley going there and winning liverpool going there sorry city going there and absolutely hammering them but all these elements are combining to make this a frustrating if enjoyable season so far for united there's still plenty left to enjoy you know we'll come to the fa cup win in a little while and the fact that we're still looking good to at least get deeper into another cock competition under Ole. but still those elements are there but for the time being let's have a quick break we have a small favor to ask friends if you're enjoying the show please help spread the word leave a rating and a review on apple podcasts acast or any podcast app you use it's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners and it would be hugely appreciated Okay, so before we head on to the West Ham game, a quick note on Manchester United women who had a very, very disappointing 2-0 defeat. Their first defeat at Lee Sports Village in about a year uh, last Saturday. So, an incredibly odd game in the sense that United were, as we've seen from United men on so many occasions, very, very comfortable and conspired to, with their set-piece defending and general awareness, just throw a result away, you know. Ella Toon had a great chance early on in the game from a pullback from Kirsty Hansen, I think it was, and just scuffed a shot and came back off the post. And then the second half from a very deep cross by Ona Bacier, uh just hit straight the keeper. That was that was the story of United's game for a large part of that match, was just that we were getting decent opportunities every now and then and getting the pressure on, but we our finishing was just wayward. And conceded a terrible goal to Harding from a corner, which Batchay tried to head up and it just flicks around. And then the second goal from Dan Carter, which was from a free kick, which was a bit of a tenuous foul in the first place. It's just appalling. You know, Carter's got the run of that penalty area. No one's defending. And it's one of the things that we've noted from this back four, in particular the centre-backs, Millie Turner and Amy Turner previously, is that in comparison with Salem Beloved and Maguire, there is a lack of recovery pace there isn't necessarily that much protection for them partially because of the way that United do play quite you know front foot football and they do want to attack and it really exposes the limitations they're not necessarily very fast Millie Turner in particular is not necessarily great when it comes to tackling when it comes to trying to close down and stop those instances and it turned into an incredibly frustrating afternoon you know there was still plenty of time for United to get back into the game at 2-0 down but we didn't really muster a decent chance. A really frustrating game for Stoney's team. And at the time, I thought that was the title race gone. And then Brighton had other ideas and then stopped Chelsea's 33-game unbeaten run in the league with a 2-1 victory away at Chelsea. I mean, it's just an amazing result. And I'm not necessarily sure that happens if United win. I, I feel like Chelsea go on and do the business and get through. I think that defeat against Reading was just enough of a reason for them to take their eye off the ball a little bit, 5% or so, and then that causes a little bit of complacency in the Chelsea ranks and it all changes the game completely. Uh, They play Arsenal tonight and if uh, they drop points in that, United are well-primed to put some pressure on with a massive Manchester derby on Friday night. I believe that's on BT Sports, so I would fully recommend anyone watching that. Shows up to be a very interesting evening, no doubt. Rich, looking forward to that one? Yeah, yeah, it should be it should be a good game. It's a high pressure game, but that's I guess that's what why they're in it. And it's nice at this stage of the season to be in with the chance of actually winning the title. You've got a under twenty threes game to discuss. Yeah, United have been really really good fun this season in the under twenty threes. Their last fourteen games have have yielded over seventy goals in total for both for both teams. Um, United scored another six. They played Blackburn, who were who remained top of the table. It was just a really really fun attacking game 
Blackburn at one stage led 4-2 and then United just let rip. Ahmed played again um, and is quite clearly way too good for this level. He assisted three goals, assisted all three for Shola Shortire, who is going to be some footballer. I don't know. If, I can't remember if we've, we've spoken about him before on the on on the pod, but he's been playing way above his age group for several years now. I think he was one of the youngest players ever to play in the UEFA Youth League. Um, he was in the under 18s at 15, and he's now really sort of making his mark in the under 23s. So hat trick for him. Uh, Hannibal Medjugorje was absolutely brilliant again. The goal for him as well. United have probably got well. They've almost certainly got by far the best attacking talent in that in that league. The issues really are at the back. Um, they've got a lot of injuries. They're missing um, Will Fish and and a couple of others, and and that is is really what's causing the the concessions at the other end. But the, the under twenty three is a, a bit like the first team in that it's really very gung ho, and there's not a great deal of solidity at the back, but it makes it incredibly fun fun to watch. I was really happy to see that, that Ahmad was in the West Ham squad. I don't think there's an awful lot he can, can learn at under-23 level. He's far, far, far too good for it. I saw that Shortire started training with the first team. And again, I think he can benefit from another couple of months playing under-23 football at the very least. Just to keep developing his game, really. Medjbri is another one. I wonder what more he's got to learn at that level. One of the most... He, he's now got an injury. One of the One of the things that's most notable... In terms of him, is that every week he just gets kicked, lumps kicked out of him. At first, I think that unsettled him a lot. He didn't really deal with it very well, but he's turned into a really durable, brave player now. And he, he largely just takes hits, gets up, carries on, does his thing. Um, he, he got, a, I think it was an ankle injury from a really OTT challenge in, in this game. Um, so I'm not really sure how long he's going to be out for. But, but he's another one that I'm looking at and thinking... He, I'm not sure what more you can you can gain from from under 23 football. It, it might be time to try and get him in and around that first team squad. You know, potentially make some use of him or, or, or develop him a little bit further in that in that context. But yeah. I, I would I would absolutely recommend watching the 23s if you get the chance because they are serious fun um, and it's really good seeing a group of players who are unquestionably good enough to to make a real challenge for the first team um, again. You know, these are really, really good times for for United at all levels, really. The the, the, the under-18s are top of their league as well and playing some really, really good football. Hugo scored again for the under-23s. He's a, an absolutely deadly striker. He's a really sort of classic, classic forward. Just, he's he's a finisher. He, he does finish. He finishes, he finishes beautifully. There's so much talent in this under-23 team and I think it's a really, really exciting time throughout the the age groups in the academy at the moment uh so we spent about half an hour talking about every other game apart from the one last night and i think that tells you how much uh fun how many good times there is to take out of that two hours of football i mean i guess i want to talk a little bit more about individual performances and how they sort of fit into the bigger picture at united in terms of that that the whole game because i mean number one i was amazed at the lack of ambition from Moises West Ham. You know, they've they've had a good season, by certainly by their standards and indeed by the table standards, considering that they're, what, top five, top six. You know, they've been buzzing around that area for quite some time. You know, they played good football on plenty of occasions, which is strange when you consider who's managing them. That was more of a return to the mean, wasn't it, in terms of what we know of David Moyes. It was 
terrible in terms of i mean they didn't have one decent presentable opportunity in the entirety of that game i think what henderson had to make one save completed as many dribbles as he did saves in that game for fuller context just a startling desire a lack of desire to try and get forward and really pressure united which was so strange and just sit deep and you know he mentioned in the post-match comments hold on for penalties which is i don't know i mean for a very attritional battle of attack versus defense and one that they almost were successful in bar one scott mctominay now obviously we've got a bit of game to discuss before then but i thought he was right that van der Beek came in for bruno and gave him a midweek off at least, you know, at least for the full sort of 70 80 minutes or so anyway um but it didn't necessarily go to plan for him now i'm, I'm not worried long term as might surprise you to hear but uh I think it's indicative of his struggles to try and really fit into that side at the minute. Now, is this a case of just the midfield not necessarily knowing enough of where Van der Beek is expecting the ball or wants the ball? Is it just a mismatch of styles not really quite coming off? What do you think has been... What was what was, what was was standing out to you as the issue there in terms of Van der Beek not really fitting in with what was going on around him? The Van der Beek United edition is, at the moment, such a vanilla player. He drifts in games. He takes the easy options... A lot of the time I couldn't understand exactly what his role was against West Ham. You know, you expect him, he's playing instead of Bruno, so you kind of expect him to be playing that sort of number 10 role, roving around a bit. You know, his 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 primary goal is to is to get the ball face forwards and either pass or, or dribble or shoot or whatever. You know, he he's the creative fulcrum in that in that team. But he spent so much of that that, that game either playing as high as almost as high as Martial up against the, the defence or drifting wide. He was he spent quite a lot of time in the first half sort of drifted to the right and not not enough time in in that kind of number 10 position. And he too often takes the simple the simple option. And I know at Ajax that team was very much set up around passing and moving and it didn't, weren't necessarily trying to play the killer ball all the time. And he can't be Bruno. He's not going to be Bruno. But... At the moment, he doesn't seem to be providing or, or, or really playing any kind of effective role at all. I'm probably a bit more worried about his future than you are. I mean, I don't, I don't think for a minute, I don't think for a minute that he's going to get binned in the summer or anything like that. But I don't really understand where he fits in or if he's got the, I don't know, the mentality to to really force himself into this team and actually change games in this in this league. I mean, I definitely think he's he's talented enough, but for whatever reason, he's just not mentally getting to grips with games and and having the confidence to to really try things. He's almost the anti he's almost the anti Bruno, you know. Bruno Bruno will just keep trying things even if they're incredibly difficult or unlikely to succeed. And Van der Beek essentially tries almost nothing. If you're substituting one for the other, if you're using Van der Beek as a Bruno alternative, that's a real problem because the system revolves around that number 10 um, being a danger and, and creating. And, and if he's not doing that, then the, the team's essentially playing with, with 10 men. And, and it was just another really anonymous, neat and tidy, but but nothing special performance from him. And I, I think he was quite lucky to stay on as long as he did. Um I mean, to me, I think in the second half, I saw enough examples of him willing to make runs on the edge of the penalty area on the left in particular to suggest that he is looking for space. I think partially the speed of United's passing or the 
Um, again, the ambition of United's passing at times, especially in that second half, was restricted. You know, we looked a lot more inhibited in the, after the break and we, we weren't trying anywhere near as much in terms of trying to get behind West Ham. The easy thing to say was that you don't know necessarily why United have bought this player. Not when we've got Pogba, not when we've got Bruno, two players who obviously Bruno, the more creative one, but Pogba can dictate a little bit more from a deeper line midfield position when requested to and also get further forward and cause some chaos. When it comes to Donny, I think there's definitely an argument to say that he takes far less risks in terms of Bruno and doesn't necessarily get to grips with games. But I still think that because he hasn't had a sustained run in the side, that, and this is me having not seen him play that much for Ajax, but obviously there's a there's a system in place over at the Dutch club, right? There is attacking drills and patterns and there is a sense of cohesion to the way that they play their football that just isn't there with United. So I do wonder if there's an element of him needing to let go of the element of control that everything is going to be well-drilled and tight. When you've been playing from in that level of philosophy for so long, you know, your entire playing career, if there's an element that when you come to a side that doesn't have that sort of tactical acumen, so we say, it, it's difficult to adjust. You know, you're expecting the same sort of drills and routines that you've been playing with for years. And I think that will be an adjustment for him. So I guess there's that element to consider. I mean, I guess the bigger problem there was that United spent almost, what, oh God, almost two hours of football and got one goal out of it despite dominating possession. I mean, the first half in particular, there, I, I thought that was actually half decent for United. It was just yeah. missing a goal. You know, we saw two or three chances that were very well blocked by West Ham centre-backs. You know, Martial and Green were both were able to make a little bit of space, but they couldn't get their shot through. Rashford had that chance in the second half that was well smothered by Fabianski, where he's just, he's hit it into the ground, isn't it? It's that yeah. cross that's just deflected to him from the right, he's coming on the left-hand side of the goal if he just sticks that in the bottom left-hand corner then we're fine and we're talking about a different game but I don't know if it's a lack of confidence with him at the minute it's that you know decision making is not quite there at the moment and even when he's not playing particularly well he's still finding a way to affect games you know even I still look at his runs into the defence as something that United need to be doing more of because it didn't come off many occasions last night. In fact, I don't think it actually came off at all. But it gives us something different, you know? It's nice to see a player actually have the confidence to go and run at a back four as opposed to us trying to pass them to death at times. And the setup for McTominay's goal when it eventually came, gorgeous. And what a toe-poke finish as well to win it. Yeah, I think um, McTominay almost benefited from the fact that he had absolutely no time to decide what to do with that that ball it was he was so close to Rashford that the, the, he had to hit it on the volley with his toe uh, but but that part that's partly why it went in because he hit, it was hit so early that that Fabianski had absolutely no chance of of setting himself and diving to save it um and it was really the one the one really penetrative thing that United did all all night aside from that that one Rashford chance I mean, I think it's very indicative of the way the game went that it came from Declan Rice giving the ball away and United counter-attacking. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I didn't understand. I didn't understand West Ham's approach all night. I wonder in, in Moyes' head if there was an element of being a bit traumatized in a football sense by the by United's comeback at the Olympic Stadium in terms of West Ham having incredibly offensive, successful first half, trying to continue in the same way and getting cut apart. But they've won seven of their last nine going into that that game last night, and most of those seven have been won playing pretty attacking, expansive attacking football. And their previous game they'd lost was against Liverpool at home, when they essentially did exactly the opposite. They did exactly what they did last night against United, which was just to be incredibly compact, sit really deep, 
and they, they didn't really they, they created next to nothing against Liverpool as well and just lost now United weren't able to open them up quite as well as Liverpool had but there wasn't any stage in that game where it, you felt like West Ham were getting a foothold in it where they really had any sustained pressure on United's goal whether you were even creating chances I mean the one the one chance you were talking about Ben Rama's header he was offside anyway so Henderson didn't have an actual open play save to make that would have had any impact on the game. It was incredibly frustrating for United. Missing Pogba was obviously a big a big issue, but ultimately one of Solskjaer's changes paid off and I think it's a change he had to make just to get some impetus some forward impetus from that from that midfield pairing. Yeah, it was just a lovely it was just a lovely little finish and again after that United had to defend a couple of set pieces but it didn't really feel at any stage that we were going to lose the game after we'd scored or or, or not win the game after we'd scored. No, no, that, I mean, that's a strange feeling for us, isn't it? You know, yeah. I think in those sort of instances, you're expecting United can, to concede either a goal or a particularly big chance, and it didn't happen at all. You know, West Ham really pay for refusing to do much of anything in an attacking sense for the entirety of that game. They can't switch it on in the same way that Everton certainly did at the weekend. So it's United's seventh straight quarterfinal um, in the FA Cup, which is an excellent result and a yeah. good... You know, I think the result is far more important than the performance in these sort of instances. You know, we saw against Watford another dirt performance, one 0 with a McTominay goal. It wasn't good to watch, and neither was large chunks of the game last night. But we're through. You know, we'll find out on Thursday who we're playing. I'm assuming we're going to get an incredibly difficult tie. Why teams around us get far more easier assignments? But at least yeah. it's at home, I guess, to a certain extent. At least we've got the the comfort of familiar surroundings. And we've got five-day gap on Sunday, which I'm somewhat looking forward to. I think you can tell that several of these players need a rest. Yeah. I think mentally, I kind of need a rest a little bit at the wet as well at the moment. And you know, we go over to the Hawthorns in semi-decent form. You know, West Brom are not necessarily imploding under Sam Allardyce, but they're not necessarily getting that solidity that I think they expected from bringing the big man into their club as the manager fated to try and keep them out of relegation ironically I think they're actually doing better under Billich than they were they are currently under him yeah I mean as you say they've not they don't appear to have solidified at all defensively so if they've not done that then what 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 is Big Sam bringing United have to be winning this game I mean I know we said the same against Sheffield United so we take absolutely nothing for granted but West Brom are awful, and this is a game United have to be winning if we want to. Not, I, I don't think a title challenge is is realistic now. But if we want to make sure that we we're going to finish in the top four this season, we can't be dropping points in those kind of games. We've got after West Brom, we've got Newcastle at home in the league. That's two games we need to be winning before we have a couple of really tougher ways against uh, City and Chelsea. From our own perspective, I think we need to keep some distance between ourselves and the and the, the kind of chasing pack. So I think anything other than a, the, the, a win at the weekend is a disaster, really. But mm. but you'd hope, uh, you know, whilst whilst making quite a few changes last night um, meant that we had a it, it was quite a scratchy performance and a scratchy game. It, you know, we we know we'll be back to the the best eleven at the weekend, and you'd hope that that they'll be good enough to get the job done, probably in the most in the most stressful way possible. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we're going to allow ourselves to discuss any sort of quote-unquote title race, City entertaining Spurs at the weekend with Mourinho in full-on lockdown mode at the moment, I mean, it's going to... I'm interested to watch that game purely to see how 
attritional it gets because we know how Mourinho gets in these sort of situations when his back's against the wall and the football that he's been playing this season in particular he fully is in siege mentality at the moment isn't he mm. and with City playing so well even without a recognised striker it's it, it set up for City to potentially either hammer them or have a very frustrating afternoon and I hope it's the latter well I'm expecting the former yeah I mean it's a weird experience at the moment because we ha- obviously we had the Liverpool City game at the weekend and I think on balance, City winning that game was probably the better of the two outcomes for, or the possible three outcomes for United. We aren't going to catch City. Nobody's going to catch City. Um, I think we're in, we're in Tau Cuckoo land if we think it's going to happen. So it's important that we, we, we keep those behind us at bay. From my perspective, I'd rather see a City win than a Spurs win. Um, not because I think Spurs are... I don't think Spurs are good enough to catch us. I think Mourinho's really struggling there now. They tried the, the same... Um, sort of very compact low block against Chelsea and were largely absolutely terrible. Um, I, ca- I can't see them getting anything out of that game against City. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad outcome for United. Mm. Right, I guess we'll leave it there for this week, Rich. Thanks as always for your company. Pleasure. Guys, thank you very much for joining us as well. Uh, don't forget, you can get hold of us any way so you wish, uh, particularly Twitter. So you can get me at you and like this. You can get Rich at, at Rich Red Voices and you can get the pod at Red Voices MUSC. Podcasts can also be found on the Apple App Store. So the Apple Podcast app, uh, Stitcher, on Spotify and SoundCloud. Basically any half decent podcast app you could care to mention. In the meantime, we'll be back with you after the West Brom game at the weekend. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.